to be near the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12 this morning. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's very convenient because after everything that we have gone through and studied and wrestled with through this book, because, again, I, I've, I've, shared with this, I've shared this with you many times. This is a, this is a difficult book. Um, a, lot of, a lot of tension exists in the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and that's okay. I think that's part of the, uh, the struggle of life is that, you know, God allows us to live in this world where, you know, there is still this tension that exists that, that we don't have all of the answers and that we still ask the big questions and we, we wonder why things are happening the way that they are and, and we struggle, and, and that's okay. To, to struggle sometimes is just to be human, and, and God understands that. But I appreciate the book of Ecclesiastes because after everything that's been said, and again, we believe King Solomon is the, is the, the, the subject of Ecclesiastes. He's the, the author, as it were. Um, at the end of the book, we kind of get a, a, a summary. We kind of get a conclusion. And, and I'm very thankful for that because, you know, we could, we could really get caught up and, and it could really, um, you know, delay us in our development and our growth and our, our maturity in the Lord if we didn't just have this nice, simple conclusion at the end of the book to kind of help us bring all this together, to reconcile the book of Ecclesiastes. So very thankful that we have that in chapter 12, and we're going to look at that today. And the title of my message is very, very simple. It's Remember God. Remember God. You know, I was thinking in preparation for this message that one of the saddest things in life has to be to be forgotten. When nobody should remember you. When, 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 when we're remembered, it means that we matter. It means that our life counted. It means that, that maybe we made a difference. Maybe we made some type of an impression, at least a, a lasting impression enough for others to remember us. But to be forgotten, that, that has to be one of the saddest things in life. We've read throughout this book where Solomon struggles with the idea that all of us, whether rich or poor or king or slave or, you know, no matter who you are and your level of importance in this world, that, that within just a few short generations after we are dead and, and buried, we virtually become forgotten. I think I talked about this months ago when we, we started this, this study. I asked you the question. I said, you know, how many of you remember your great-grandparents? And, you know, and I, I kind of remember I had, I had a great-grandmother on both of my sides of the family that I actually got to meet and have a, a faint memory of them. Grandma Scarborough and Grandma Hawkins, Right? So I remember them, but I was very, very young when they passed, and so I didn't, I didn't really get to know them. But, but think about their parents, my great-great-grandparents. I can't tell you their names today. Think about my great-great-great-grandparents. Now, surely they're buried somewhere. We could probably go back to the family cemetery. I could go back and look through the family records and 
maybe you're one of those people that loves to do the family tree and the genealogy, and yeah, you can get the names, and you can, you know, you can try to do the whole family tree thing, and, and all that's fine and good, but ultimately, those generations that have passed on before us have been what? They've been forgotten, and Solomon really struggled with this, and and you know, if we're honest, yeah, our kids will grieve our death and maybe our grandchildren, but our great-great-grandchildren probably will never know us. And our great-great-great-grandchildren undoubtedly will not know us. And we'll be just like every generation before us. And so just to be forgotten is just something that, that Solomon is, is wrestling with and You know, he's like, what can we do while we are still here in the land of the living? And thankfully, I think Solomon and and the Holy Spirit inspired this book. I believe that that, that he gives us the answer. He, He tells us and reminds us that, yes, there is something that we can do to make a difference. There is something that we can do that matters. One day, we may be forgotten. But we can remember God while we still can, while we still have life. And here's the, here's the critical point to that, that if we can remember God, guess what? He will remember us. He will remember us. So even though our distant ancestors or our future generations that, that come after us that, that may not remember us, Ultimately, that's not what matters. What matters is, does God remember you? Does God remember, will God remember me? And so, if you look with me in Ecclesiastes, I want to pick up in chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses out of 11, and we're going to go straight into 12. And I just want to read this in context, and and then I'm going to break it down very simply. Three very basic principles, very basic points today that I think will be very helpful for you and for me as we ponder these these kind of big picture questions about life. I want to go to Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9. Pick up in verse 9. So this is the end of 11. We'll go straight into verse 12. Excuse me, chapter 12. Ecclesiastes 11 9. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Anybody identify with that statement today? Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now your Creator, in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them, and while the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and when they that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets, and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low, also they are afraid of height, and their terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, and the grasshopper is a burden, and desire fails, for man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about in the streets. 
Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. And then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Interesting that Solomon kind of comes to that conclusion here. The body goes dust to dust, right? But where does the spirit go? Back to God. The spirit will return to God who gave him. Verse 8, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought and set in many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright. They were words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these, Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. So what is he saying? He says that there's been a lot that's been said about all of this, right? Many libraries are full of books about the philosophy of life. But I love what he says here in verse 13. But let us hear the conclusion of the matter. In other words, you can go study every book, go check out every library, you can go read every philosophy, He's saying, when it all is said and done, it comes down to this. Listen to what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or Let's take a minute. I want to stop and pray. Would you pray with me, Father, as we um, open your word and, and hear from you, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak through me, a fallen man, Lord, an imperfect vessel, but your word is perfect, your word is true. I, I'm depending on you, Lord, in your spirit to, to guide my words and, and my speech that you would that you would reach the hearts and minds of those who are indifference of, of my voice today. And that, Father, that we would walk away from here, Lord, not just hearers of the word, but doers. That it would motivate us, Lord, to examine our lives and make the necessary changes, Lord, that need to be made in order for us to be remembered as those who are faithful. As those who are obedient children as those who truly love God, not in word only, but in deed and in action. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that I would like to share with you today as we conclude the book, this is the conclusion of the matter. Let's think about what the author of Ecclesiastes tells us today. The first thing is we need to remember God daily before you forget who you are. Remember God daily before you forget who you are. The the only way and the quickest way that we will ever forget who we really are is if we forget where we came from. If we forget who God is, We quickly forget who we are. The Bible says here that we are to remember our creator. 
We're talking about now creation. What do we see in the book of Genesis is that God made man in his own image. See, we don't find that about the birds and the beasts of the field and the fish of the sea. You see, these beautiful creations, you go out and you, you look at the, the animal and the plant life all over the, the earth and the complexity and beauty and design of all of this, and it's wonderful, and we enjoy it, and it has so many benefits, but there was only one unique creation where God says, I'm putting my mark, I'm putting my image on man. God created man in his own. That means we are image bearers of God. It means we're to be imagers of God. It means that, that we have something unique in our, even in our genetic makeup, in our capacity to reason and to worship and to dream and imagine and to build and create and all of these capacities and attributes that God has placed upon us as mankind is that we were created in the image of God to be representations of God on the earth. That's why God gave Adam and Eve dominion. He says, listen, Adam, Eve, I'm going to create you and make you in my own image. I'm going to breathe my spirit into you. And when he set Adam and Eve there in the garden in the very first week of creation, he said, listen, the whole earth is what? Is yours. Have dominion. Rule over it. Make what, we, what I've made for you in Eden, I want you, to, I want you to make Eden all over the earth. I want you to make it a paradigm. And I want you to represent who? Me. Everywhere you go, remember me. In everything you do, remember me. You see, that's what it means to be an image bearer of God. Christians, we like to call ourselves Christians. The word literally means to be like who? Christ. When I was growing up as a, uh, you know, a young boy in the, in the 80s and early 90s, I wanted to be like Mike, Jordan. Poster on the wall, wore the shoes, everything. On the playground, I stuck my tongue out, and I thought I could imitate who? Michael Jordan. I wanted to be like Mike, but guess what? I'm not qualified to be like Mike. I'm too short and too white and a lot of other things. But the reality is, as a Christian, we're supposed to be like who? Like Christ. That's what it really means to be a little Christ or an imitator of Christ. And that means that in our character, in our likeness, in what we believe and how we behave, that's what it means to be a Christian. Image bearers. Remember your creator. And you will not forget who you are. We would do well to remember God in every moment of every day. Do we do that? We don't. But think about the benefits of remembering God. Any of you battling negative thoughts out there? Thoughts of condemnation. I talked about it before we took the Lord's Supper. The devil is a master of, of accusing us and keeping us in a place of shame and guilt and condemnation. That is not from who? That is not from God. So when we remember God, we can battle, we can fight off those negative thoughts and self-condemning voices. When we are fighting bad attitudes and selfish motives or or living in the flesh, we remember who? Remember God. When we're facing big decisions or difficult choices in life, it will do well to remember God. Here's a good one. Before we speak, it would be good to, to remember who? Remember God. How many times have we opened our mouth and said something that we wish we could just take it back? Too late. 
So when we consider the reality that we are in a relationship with Christ and we belong to God, he calls us his sons and daughters. We now represent him. We're called his witnesses. Do you know if you're a believer in Jesus today, if you call yourself a Christian, you are a witness. It just just depends on which kind of a witness are you going to be. You can be a good one or a what? Or a bad one. You know how many times that I've misrepresented Jesus Christ as a negative witness of him? Breaks my heart. I've done it many times, way too many times have I been a negative witness for Jesus Christ. I was a witness for sure, just not a good one. But that's who we're called to be. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to be his representatives on earth. We're his ambassadors. And here's what the third commandment of the great ten commandments of God would tell us. He says, do not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain. Guys, let me tell you what that means. I don't think that primarily has anything to do with you saying a cuss, using God's name as a cuss word. Should we use God's name as a cuss word? No. That's misusing his name, but that's not what the third commandment is all about. What the third commandment is all about is it's a marriage covenant. When God took Israel to to Mount Sinai, he entered into a marriage covenant with them. He says, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. Now let's get married. What happens to a wife when she takes her husband's what? Name. You now are part of his life. He's He's your husband, you're his wife, y'all are one. You represent your husband and everything that you do. That's what the third commandment is all about. Do not take the Lord, your God's name, in vain. In other words, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, don't take that lightly. Don't misrepresent the Lord. Now, we all do. I get it. We all fail at that. But, guys, this is an opportunity for us to reflect and to remember who we are. We're to bear the name of Christ, to bear that name, even if it comes with persecution or ridicule or even suffering or even death. We're called to bear that name with honor and with dignity and faithfulness for the glory of God. Listen to what James says. I love this. I just I want to read this in full context because I think it's important that you you hear the the words of James because he he speaks about what it what it's like to forget who you are. Listen to this, my my beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Now, I think again, the way we do that is that we can stop and remember God. Instead of acting out of emotion, take a minute, think about it, remember God, who am I? Right, that's what, that's what James is talking about, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and every expression of evil and humbly accept the word that's been planted in you, which can save your souls. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourselves. Listen to what he says. For anyone who hears the word but does not obey it, who does not carry it out, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after observing himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom 
and continues to do so, not a forgetful hearer, again, forgetting who we are, but an effective doer, he will be blessed in what he does. What is James saying here? He's saying, don't forget who you are. That probably would be a a good habit for any of us. I don't do this every day, but I do it sometimes. Sometimes when I have to have a, we talk about having a come to Jesus moment. Anybody ever heard that before? You ever had a come to Jesus moment with yourself? I've had to look at myself in the mirror sometimes, like really look. It'll kind of freak you out a little bit, by the way. You ever look in the mirror and like really look at your eyes and you're talking to yourself? Some people probably think you're crazy. Y'all probably think I'm crazy right now. No, you, you really look at yourself in the mirror and you really have a come to Jesus moment and you look at yourself and say, who are you? Like, who are you? What are you doing? Is this who you really are? You claim to be this guy, but you're, you're not. When's the last time you had that conversation that come to Jesus with yourself? That's what James is talking about right here. How many times do we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and remember God and not forget who we are? This is no um, simple business. This is no casual thing for us to say, I'm a Christian. I represent Jesus. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not a casual thing that we are to take lightly, guys. Again, we are to represent him well. When other people see us, they should see who? They should see Christ. That's a responsibility. It's a heavy responsibility. Not that they see perfection, but guys, overall, in the general way that we live and behave and treat others, our attitudes and our actions, our thoughts and our deeds, it should line up, for the most part, with Christ. And sometimes we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I need to remember who I am. Because as soon as I walk out the door... I forget who I am, and I go out here and misrepresent you in so many ways. And guys, that is not what God would have of any of us. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes he'd rather us not claim him at all if we're going to live like that. I want to talk to you about practical atheism today. Practical atheist. You know that everybody in this room has been a practical atheist. Now, I know you believe in God, or you may claim to believe in God. And I know you, you know I claim to believe in God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you know what? I've been a practical atheist before. Do you know what I mean by that? Let me explain it to you. You say, we say we believe in God. But when we turn around and do something contrary to God's word or break one of his commandments, or especially, and this is where it really gets tricky, is that we like to think that we can do things when nobody else is watching. Nobody will know about that. One pastor gave the the, the silly illustration, and it kind of sticks in my brain, so I'll give it to you, but it's kind of like the Christian who stands on his side of the fence, and he eats a banana, and he has the banana peel, and all he's got to do is go put it in his garbage, but instead he looks around, he doesn't see anybody, and he drops it over in his neighbor's yard. He's a Christian, he's a believer, but for that moment, he was a practical what? atheist because he did something in a way that reflected that he did not believe in God and guess what we're all guilty of that we've all been guilty of that have you ever considered the children of Israel coming out of Egypt 10 plagues God shows his mighty hand and outstretched arm he he just shows his his uh, complete supreme power over the gods of Egypt he brings them out he parts the sea and they go into the wilderness And what do we find in the story of the Israelites? Just a few short 
weeks and months leading into the greatest demonstration of God's glory that they have ever seen, they're out there, what, complaining. You know what happened to that generation that came out of Egypt? They died in the wilderness. They believed in God. They saw him with their own eyes. They saw God work in, in probably in a more miraculous way than any of us would ever see unless we live to see the coming of the Lord than anybody could ever imagine, and yet they did not believe. The Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. It's like the Lion King, you know, the, the hyenas in Lion King, every time they say the word Mufasa, the king, what do they do? Ooh, they just shiver, right? Oh, don't say the name Mufasa. Every time they hear the name Mufasa, they knew Mufasa was real, they were terrified of him. Did they obey Mufasa? Absolutely not. They were in direct opposition to Mufasa, the king. Again, this whole illustration, right? They were in opposition to him. They were rebellious toward him. They knew he was real. They believed in Mufasa, but they did not obey him. That's practical atheism. And if we're not careful, we will forget who we are, and we will do things when we think nobody else is watching. Oh, by the way, there's always somebody else. And so, just to help you, you know, you say, well, well what, what are some things I can do to, to remember, you know, so, so that I don't forget God and, and that I don't forget who I am? Well, it's, it's interesting because God tells us, you know, gives us some good instructions on that as well. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Maybe, maybe this is some things that you and I could do. You ready? Listen to this. Deuteronomy 6, it says, now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you and that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well for you and that you may multiply greatly in the land that the Lord your God has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gate. How many of us are talking about the Lord, talking about his word, having spiritual conversations with our children and our grandchildren? How many of us are talking about the Lord, remembering God when we lie down and when we rise up? How many of us are talking about the Lord, sharing with the Lord, listening about the Lord when we walk along the way, which we don't walk to work anymore, but we what? We drive. How many times are you making sure that is time well spent to remember the Lord? How many times do we have the Lord's word posted on our mirrors and our, on, our, um, you know, on our walls and on our uh, consoles of our car, or wherever we can put the Word of God. Guys, this is one very, very simple way that will help us what? Remember. 
Remember, do not forget who you are. Now, if remembering God wasn't enough, then he is our creator. We are his image bearers. But you know what? He is also our judge. This will take it to a whole other level now. Because if you see what the book of Ecclesiastes says, he says, for God will bring every work into what? Judgment. Into judgment. So if we are to remember God, the second thing is that we are to respect God because he will bring every secret thing into judgment. When I say respect God, I'm going to use that word because that's the word that we... Now, we just sang a song a minute ago, fear is a liar. Remember, I said that's unhealthy fear. There is a such thing as healthy fear. I like to use the word respect or to, to be reverent, to revere the God, the Lord our God. So the fear of the Lord or respect for God, that's a consistent theme. We've seen this all throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, and we've discussed it many times. And we know that the fear of the Lord, listen, is just the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Just the what? Just the beginning. In other words, if you do not have a healthy fear and a healthy understanding, this all that comes down to is this, guys. Listen to me. One day, you and I, we're going to have to stand before our, our God, our judge. We are. And there ain't going to be nobody else around for you to say, well, what about, what about, what about? What about them, or they hadn't done this to me, or none of that. Just you and him, and you're going to have to give a what? An account. In many ways, that should terrify us. That should terrify us. Now, on the other side of the cross, we have that assurance that we're not going to be punished or condemned I get that, but at the same time, guys, we still are going to be giving an account of our life to God. He is our judge. And it's just the beginning of our knowledge and wisdom so that I'm not asking you to live your life in a paralyzing fear or self-condemnation every time you mess up. But what I am talking about is having respect and reverence for God because he is a holy God. God is love. But he is also what? He's holy. He is holy. The Bible says that God's perfect love casts out all fear from our hearts. And again, this is that fear of condemnation. And we should respect God knowing that he loves us. But you know what the Bible says? It says that God loves us, which means that he will discipline those whom he loves. Anybody ever got the whipping from God? That's God's love. Does it feel very good at the time? No, it does not. But if he didn't love you, he wouldn't discipline you. And we all understand and we've been there where we've done things and we've gone off track and we've strayed from God or we've kind of gotten that bad attitude or rebelled or whatever it may be. And he says, wait a minute, you belong to me. I love you too much to see you go down this path of destruction. So I'm going to have to whip you a little bit. I'm going to have to discipline you a little bit to get you back on track, to get you back in order. Because that's what a loving father would always do, right? To prevent their children from living a destructive lifestyle. You know what I hate about this whole idea of love in the modern culture? Everything's love. Everybody's supposed to be love, 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 right? If we love everybody, we're going to never tell them that they're doing anything wrong. 
That's what our modern culture tells us. Oh, if you really loved me, you would never tell me that what I'm doing is wrong or how I'm living is wrong. Is that the definition of love? You know what the Bible says? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. 1 Corinthians 13, look it up. Let me say it again. Love does not what? Rejoice in wrongdoing. So if people are out there telling you they want you to rejoice in their wrongdoing and you do that, you do not love them. That is not a loving thing to do. But man, that's, that's, that's the, the whole thing going on in our culture today, right? The minute that you tell somebody that they're doing wrong, wrongdoing, and I'm not going to celebrate that with you, you don't love me. No, actually, that's exactly what I'm doing with you. I'm loving you. Because if I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you. But you're living a lifestyle that's going down a destructive path. And if I didn't love you, I'd just let you go down that path. You see, but that's the way God deals with us. So here's the thing that we've got to really wrap our minds around, is that we have a healthy fear from God, of God, because, guys, we can't hide anything from him. You know, you can't keep any secrets from God. Some of you out there, you got some skeletons, you got some secrets, and you're thinking, I'm going to go to the grave with these things, and you might get away with it. Because we can fool man. We can keep secret sins hidden from man, even though sin does have a way of finding you out. It's kind of crazy how that works. But, you know, we may get away with it. We could fool ourselves long enough or fool other people long enough. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. You cannot ever fool God. He knows everything. He knows your secret thoughts. He even knows the intentions of your heart. That should kind of that should kind of sober us up a little bit. Because sometimes we do good things and people give us all kind of praise, but deep down in our heart we're doing it for the what? Wrong reason. God knows all about it. Let me share some scriptures with you. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces. It even divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and, expo and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What does that mean? It means we can't cover anything up. Everything is exposed before God. Mark 4, for there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has there anything been kept secret that should not come to light. Romans 2.15, so they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts and their conscience bears witness and their thoughts either accuse or defend them on the day when God will judge men's secret thoughts through Christ Jesus as proclaimed by my gospel. Finally, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says, my conscience is clear and that does not vindicate me. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. Listen, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and it will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. That's back to our practical atheism, right? Is that we can appear to live one way. We can claim to be one way. 
but then secretly, maybe it's behind closed doors, maybe it's things that we don't think anybody else will ever find out, but we're living a life contrary to God. We're living a life contrary to his word. We're living a lie. Now, guys, let me say this because it's so very important, important that you understand this. We should be quick to confess sin. We should be quick to bring everything into the light. Now, listen, this is where it gets tricky because here's the reason. Here's what happens, okay? We, we make little compromises. We start doing things we shouldn't do. We get caught up in this secret sin, whatever that secret sin may be. It could, it could be a, a, a myriad of different things, right? You all know what I'm talking about. You know, there's different sins out there, different secret sins, but we kind of get in the secret thing, and we. And here's what happens when you start going down that path of sin and secret sin is that you have to tell what? Lies. you got to tell lies. And then you got to tell another lie to cover your last lie. And before you know it, you're living an entire life of what? Of lies. And you've built up this entire just complete facade of a life and here's the reason why we don't come forward and confess that if you're if you're here today and you're you're living in this kind of a situation man, i'm telling you it's eating you up inside i guarantee you it is tearing you to pieces inside and you're just thinking you can get away with it one more day one more day and here's the reason why we're afraid we're scared to just come out and confess it all it's because we are afraid of how bad the consequences will be we're afraid of how bad it's going to hurt the people that we've been taking advantage of or betraying secretly or, or defrauding or whatever it may be. We think there's no way I could just come out and say it because the consequences are just going to be what? They're going to be too bad. Let me tell you something, guys. I promise you that the guilt and the shame and the consequences that come with trying to lie and hide secret sins is so much worse. It's so much more agonizing and debilitating than the consequences themselves. I promise you. I know right now when you're caught in that sin, you don't think that's the way it is, but that is the way that it is. And, and yes, will there be consequences if you come out and confess? Yes. Are a lot of people going to be hurt? Absolutely. Are a lot of people going to think that you've betrayed them? Probably so. Is there going to be a lot of work and fallout to, to maybe try to get forgiveness and restoration? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of work. It may take you years and years and years to, to still live with the consequences. I get that. But I promise you it's not worse than living a lie. It's staying in darkness. Because let me tell you something, guys. Who wants us to keep everything in the dark? Satan does. Because as long as you can, as long as he can keep you in this place of darkness, he's got what? He's got power over you. He's got power and control over you. The minute that you get it out into the light, as painful as that may be, as hard as the consequences may be, guess what? You are set free. You're set free. The devil no longer has any power over you. That's what we need to be thinking about, guys. We need to fear God more than man. Fear God more than man. Respect God because he is the one that will judge us in the end. And here's our last point for the day. Obey God, keep his commandments, because this is how we earn our salvation? No. Obey God, keep his commandments, because this is how we get goodie points with God? No. We, why do we obey God and keep his commandments? Because this is our expression of what? Love. Love. 
This is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Do you know what the definition of sin is? Breaking God's law. Transgression of the law is what? That's what sin is. I think we, I think we, we just, somewhere along the way, we just, we got this all mixed and muddled up. You see, here, here's what I grew up in, in, a, in, in churches, probably like some of the churches that maybe you grew up in or whatever it may be. I grew up this way. I grew up thinking law, Old Testament law, bad. New Testament, grace, good. God, he set me free from the what? From the law. No, he did not. No, he did not. What did Jesus set us free from? He set us free from the curse of the law. Because what is sin? Sin is breaking his law. That's what sin is. Jesus didn't come to save us so that we could turn around and go break his law. The law is good, guys. The law is blessing and joy and life and light and liberty. As a matter of fact, that when you're obeying God's law, guess what? That's when you are most free. When you break the law, who's going to come knocking at your door? The police, and they're going to take you to jail. You're not free anymore. When you keep God's law, you're what? Free. When you break God's law, you are now in jail. You're in bondage. Do you get where I'm coming from? But we've got this all mixed up in the Christian church. We've been taught for so long that the law is bad and God delivered us from the law. No, he did not. He saved us. He fulfilled the law. Yes, he lived it out perfectly. Yes, he is our example for it, 100%. But he did that so that he could give us his Holy Spirit, so that he could write his laws and commandments on our heart, so that, yeah, we don't have to go to the book and the letter of the law necessarily, even though there's benefit to that, because he's placed it where? In our heart. And so that now that it's here in my heart, guess what? It's an expression of gratitude and expression of love for God that God you did so much for me you went to the cross for me you laid down your life and died for me the least that I can do is obey your what commandments isn't that what Jesus told you and me if you love me you will do what keep my commandments what commandments could he be talking about it's the old testament that's what it is. It's the Ten Commandments and, and the various other, you know, uh, commandments that come and the instructions that come with that. That's the commandments that Jesus was talking about. He's not talking about anything new. He's saying, look, love other people the way that I've loved you. Just follow my example. I'm keeping the law perfectly. You can try to emulate me and live your life like I do. Yeah, that's what he's talking about. But he said, if you love me, guess what? You, you'll, you'll keep my commandments. You see, guys, the law is not contrary to God's grace. God's grace through Jesus, again, enables us to keep the law and obey his commandments through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you and I'll be done. Listen to 1 John chapter 5. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments now listen and his commandments are not burdensome let me say that again the way that we know that we love God and the way that God knows that we love him 
is if we are obeying his what? His commandments. And the Bible says his commandments are not burdensome. See, the law is not a burden. It's when you break the law, it becomes a what? That's when it becomes a burden. See, we've gotten this all messed up, guys. And let me, let me just share a little bit further from, from the Gospel of John. Listen to what it says in John 14. Jesus, again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So the reason that the Father was so pleased with Jesus is because he perfectly obeyed his word, his commandments. And he did the will of the Father, and he did it out of perfect love. The Son had love for the Father and therefore obeyed him. So the least that we can do as his children is that, yes, we can remember God, don't forget who you are, fear God, and keep his what? Keep his commandments. Not because you're trying to earn brownie points with God. Not because you think that's going to somehow get you to heaven. That's not what it's about, guys. It's simple. You just simply want to please the one who laid down his life for you. You just simply want to show your love and respect and appreciation for the one who created you and gave you this and placed you here and gave you life and gave you forgiveness and did everything that he could possibly do for us. That's what it means to live our life for Jesus. And so when we trust and obey, we glorify Jesus, we imitate Jesus, we point others to Jesus, and here's the thing, as we sang the very first song today, my name's probably not going to be remembered 100 years from now. And I don't even care. Because at the end of the day, only Jesus matters. Only Jesus matters. And if my great-grandchildren don't know my name, but they know Jesus I've done my job. I've done my job. If I can live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and fear God and obey his commandments and train my children and teach them to respect God and remember God and love God through the way that they live their life and their children teach their children and their children teach their children, I don't care if they ever remember my name. Only who? Only Jesus. That's what it's all about. So, guys, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. We're going to sing one more song together. And so, and, and I want to remind you, and, and we did this a couple of weeks ago, but it's always an opportunity that you can do this before you leave and you can sit right where you are. This altar's always open. You might need to go grab somebody to pray with you, whatever it may be. But maybe there's something that the Spirit was doing in your heart during this message. Maybe He's trying to get your attention. Maybe He's calling you out a little bit. Maybe He's bringing some conviction in your life. Deal with it now. Don't wait. Deal with it now. So your, your application is simple. Let us remember God as our creator, respect God as our judge, and love God as we strive to please our heavenly Father to the glory of God. So I'm going to ask our uh, singers to come back up, guys, and I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. We've got one more song to sing as we go. Father, thank you so much. Let's bow our heads for this wonderful gift that you have given us in your son. And I pray, Father, that as we hear this message today, that it would be a, a sobering reminder of where we are, where we stand with you. 
there's any area of our life, Lord, that is not pleasing to you, Lord, just let us deal with it today. Let us, let us just get it out into the light so that Satan will no longer have any power over us, Lord. And Lord, as we come to you today, help us to see that we can obey your commandments, Lord, not out of obligation or guilt or for any other reason, Lord, than, than just because we love you. That we can show you how much we love you by being obedient to you, Lord. In the, in, when nobody's watching, when everybody's watching, it doesn't matter. But Lord, we want to honor you and remember that you're always there. You're always watching. And you're always wanting us to remember you in everything that you do. And it's to the praise and glory of your holy name. And all God's people said, Amen.